You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You got the Jay Shapiro Day for listening. Uh, and Kevin, here in Israel, we don't really celebrate the new year. Uh, to us, the new year is Rosh Hashanah. But um, it's a time when we should really look back because from all over the world, we get information comparing the previous year to um, what we expect for the coming year. And this was a rather unusual year for uh, Israel. So uh, I want to say a few words about it. There's no doubt in my mind, and I'm sure many other people agree, that this is a, this year is one that changed the course of Israeli history. There's no doubt that historians will likely speak of Israel before 223 and Israel after 223. Because up until this year, Israel was a very confident country. Our economic condition was good. We had technological leadership. Uh, we felt secure in the neighborhood. We had made agreements with other countries around us. Now, it's no doubt that always is terrorism. That's the nature of where we are. But it wasn't seen as an existential threat. The overriding, overriding feeling until October was that the uh, Israel was had overwhelming power and they, nobody would really try to attack us. It, we believed that um, that the our enemy our enemies felt that we would respond with devastating force to anything they could do, and we couldn't conceive that our enemies might want precisely to have that type of response to trigger a re- wider religious war in the region, if not in the world. There are many experts who believe that the the thing that um, moves the, our enemies is religion. And religion is something that they're willing to take all kinds of uh, suffering themselves in a religious war because religion is a powerful factor, particularly in the Muslim countries. Now, there's no doubt that until October, Israel was pretty divided. There's, uh, here in Israel society, despite these divisions, they didn't threat, there's no threat to the country, and national solidarity remained. So then, what happened in 2023, even at the beginning, was the country's sense of solidarity, its economic stability, its confidence in the efficacy of its technological power, and its sense of security really came to an end, especially in the sense of security. If prior to 2023, people felt Israel had reached a certain stability, and uh, its battle for survival was the thing of the past. But what happened was, during 2023, Israel discovered that it is dangerously vulnerable, and that a nation that does not feel secure 
will act militarily and in other ways different from a nation that does feel invulnerable and secure. The Israel is at war now. Once again, um, shipping is being threatened in the Red Sea. This is what happened back in 1967. It led to the Six-Day War. And once again, we're fighting on multiple fronts. We have our defense minister, defense minister Gallant, said we have six fronts, Gaza, Judea and Samaria, Lebanon, Syria, Yemen, and Iraq, and also Iran. All that sounds like 1948 again, when Israel forced for its very existence and faced armies from multiple Arab countries. Now, they say that uh, there are those who take issue with the notion that this war against Hamas, which is simply a terrorist organization, says the war will say that uh, that's a, that is not a struggle for survival. If we have a struggle for survival against a terrorist group, it's Hezbollah up in the north, which is very well based in Lebanon. But that's looking at the war through a very narrow lens. It is true Hamas, though it can cause Israel painful damage, is not going to destroy Israel. Uh, the, uh, we can take care of that. However, the, uh, what, what the problem is, among other things, that if Israel doesn't degrade Hamas's capabilities to the extent that the message resonates around the region, that it's not worth the challenge Israel. If we don't do that, then we'll have a problem. Things will start all over again on our other borders. The current war is against Hamas, but the message from the war's outcome will be reverberate far and wide. If Israel does not end up destroying Hamas infrastructure completely, and to remove Hamas from any kind of power, Israel will appear weak. And if Israel appears weak, two things will happen. First, its enemies will see that Israel has been weakened, and our enemies will feel empowered to attack us. Second, Israel's current and potential partners in the region, these other Muslim countries, will consider whether their alliances with Israel is worth all the trouble. They saw Israel as strong and stable, but if Israel doesn't look strong and stable, these Arab nations, these Muslim nations who we made peace might reconsider. Israel's alliances in the region, we have alliances to the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, they're all built on the premise that Israel is the strongest and most stable country in the region. As a matter of fact, our prime minister has said it repeatedly. In this region, only the strong survive. And no one wants to be friends with some, a country that's weak. If Israel does not defeat Hamas roundly, it will be viewed as weak.
And that perception will spread, and that won't be good. Things, things that happened this year are things that nobody could imagine before. The uh, common Hebrew expression, it was challenged as what almost everyone didn't think could ever happen would turn out to be happening. It all started back in the beginning of the year in January. The new government uh, and its justice minister unveiled a sweeping plan to overhaul the judicial system. And his, the plan wasn't a minor adjustment, but a major overhaul of the judicial system. See, uh, the, the idea had been that the political echelon would never question the authority of the Supreme Court. However, this new proposed law actually questioned the authority of the Supreme Court. It would reduce it, reduce its authority. And this triggered events that few believed would ever see. There were weekly demonstrations of tens of thousands of people. There were protests by Israelis against Netanyahu, even when he traveled abroad. Reserve pilots threatened not to train. Reservists saying they would not lower show up for army duty. There were attacks by politicians on generals and uh, former prime ministers badmouthed Israel abroad. This was terrible. So the, uh, the, the there actually were scenes where there were high-tech firms taking their business abroad in an effort to weaken the economy. Doctors were threatening to emigrate en masse, fights in the public square, fisticuffs. Uh, all these things happened. So uh, the, the divisions came to the fore in a manner never seen before, in a way that had serious people talking about possibility of civil war and the, war, the warning of bloodshed in the streets. All this happened between January and October. Then came October 7th. And again, the inconceivable occurred in the country. The country was invaded by an army of 3,000 heavily armed and well-trained terrorists who murdered, raped, mutilated, pillaged, burns, and kidnapped people. Some of those people were still kidnapped. The, the, it turned out that Israel's intelligence authorities were caught badly blind. The army was asleep at the wheel. The politicians, too busy fighting among themselves to pay attention to the real threats lurking around the corner. This year will be remembered as the one in which long-held conceptions proved wrong. Among those conceptions that political quarrels will be contained before they cause damage to the country, that Israel's military intelligence can be relied on, that the country can have a small, smart army relying more on high tech. Uh, it's possible to turn a blind eye to what the our neighbors right next door are doing and that problems can be kicked down the road. 
During a speech on this Wednesday, one of the leaders of the opposition, Yair Lapid, said this year was the worst year in the history of the state. I don't know if it was as bad as that at the very beginning of the country. Back in 1948, were very difficult. The, um, but what will make 2023 a watershed year? The answer is the ability to look at the events, learn the lessons, change direction, change, change political direction, change security direction, and change the overall direction of the society. The, uh, as a result of, of October 7th, the good thing is Israelis return to who they are. They return to themselves. And they came together in a way not seen since the very founding of the country. We're now three months into the war. Unfortunately, political divisions are resurfacing, which is not good. Still, the national solidarity, solidarity that's slipping away before the war began, and national solidarity is vital for Israel to deal with the future. Uh, it's back. There is national solidarity. The, uh, the changes, this was a difficult year, and as 20, 2023 turns into 2024, the, uh, there have to be changes. This, is a, this will be seen, 2023 will be seen as a watershed year. The, there's no doubt in my mind that the, the, the nation's course will be changed after what happened on October 7th. So 2023 will be what we call a watershed year. And thankfully, it came to an end. And let's hope next year is a year of solidarity. I saw something pointed out in an article the other day that I think is important. Um, the, uh, the, 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 you know, there are people who said, well, we're not in favor of settlement over the Green Line, and some people say they're the leftists in particular say we'll never go visit Judea and Samaria and so forth. It's, uh, and something showed up the uh, of the uh, of the um, first 167 soldiers fallen at the beginning of the ground invasion more unfortunately have fallen since then but of the the first 167 30 have been from settlements in Judea and Samaria the uh, if you go some some people could take issue with this, like going in through the list of the four and dividing it in, into sectors just perpetuates the divisions in the country. But the statistics are worth pointing out for two reasons. 
First is to recognize and try to duplicate, duplicate elsewhere the values been transmitted within the religious Zionist camp to the love of land. Most of those who lived uh, over the Green Line, who unfortunately were killed, were religious Zionist soldiers. They have a love of the land, and the country, the people, and the Torah of Israel. The religious Zionist camp the, uh, the, uh, has really stood up for the country. They have all kinds of people, religious Zionists, many of whom live across the Green Line, and the, uh, the, they, they, they participate in the defense of the country just as much, if not more, than others. You have all kind of people in all the camps. Is the, the 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 religious Zionists, particularly those who live in Judea and Samaria, have been demonized as messianics, messianists, and fascists. The uh, the one of, one of the institutions on the right flank of the of the religious Zionist community is the B'nai David pre-army idea, preparation yeshiva, which has been, been demonized over the years. And it turns out that six of its graduates, uh, I'm sorry, 15 of its graduates have been killed. The, for years there was a campaign of defamation and slander against religious Zionism and settlers. But uh, it's now time to think of this camp differently. The one of the uh, a left winger, Yair Eisenberg, said, "I apologize to religious Zionist community in which I was raised, and which I, I left, and I've, I've often criticized it. I apologize for dismissing what I saw as militarism and sanctification of bereavement over life." I apologize for everything I said about the religious Zionist camp. He once referred to religious Zionist community as a factory. And then he wrote, I think the factory is responsible for raising masses of excellent young people who are willing to pay for their lives to protect mine. And I apologize for everything I ever said about the religious Zionist community. And this is unfortunate, but true. It takes hardship, takes times of crisis for, for the people of Israel and Jews in general, I think. Remember who we are, one big community. I'll be back after the break. Be smart. Listen to Israel News Talk Radio in the background while you work and get the latest news and commentary from Israel. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. Hi, my name is Michael Ben Noach from Slovakia. Israel News Talk Radio is just the best radio station in the world, and I listen every day. You're back again with Jay Shapiro. You know, the the um, 
testimony was given before uh, Congress by three Ivy League college, their presidents, and it, it was very, really disgraceful because they had no real answer to why they're not stopping anti-Semitism on, on their campuses. And then I came across an article by somebody by the name of Robert Williams, and he pretty much explains what happened on university campus, and I want to share what he said with the readers, because it really came as news to me, and I think it's important to know. Qatar, which is an oil-rich country, and has an estimated population of only about $2.5 million, is the largest foreign donor that we know about to American universities with at least $4.7 billion donated between 2000 and 2021. And many of this money, many of those billions, went unreported to the Department of Education, according to research done by an organization called the Institute for the Study of Global Antisemitism and Policy. Under federal law in the United States, colleges and universities that receive donations from foreign sources that total at least $250,000 must disclose such transactions to the U.S. Department of Education. That's the law. Qatar is far from the only authoritarian nation that donates to American universities. According to a Department of U- U.S. Department of Education report from April last year, American colleges and universities have received $19 billion from unreported sources, more than half of which has come from authoritarian and anti-democratic Middle Eastern governments. Now, founding the law by failing to disclose these uh, foreign donations has been declared a dark money nightmare. The former Secretary of Education, Betty DeVos, wrote in February of last year, just almost a year ago, well, there's nothing inherently inappropriate about foreign-sourced gifts. There is significant reason for concern if these gifts are not disclosed as required by law. Unfortunately, the higher education lobby has made no secret opposes true transparency. The American Council of Education, which is the lobbying organization for colleges and universities, praised the Biden administration in an open letter. What did they praise the Biden administration for? For ending the investigations that were launched into schools that were skirting the law and failing to report sources of foreign money. In other words, 
The American Council of Education was trying to inve investigate who these foreign sources were, and the United and the Biden administration um, ended the investigations. The major cause for concern is the high correlation between foreign gifts, especially from our geopolitical adversaries of the United States, and gifts to American universities that are home to major research laboratories, including those with Department of Defense contracts. In other words, these foreign countries are giving money to universities. They have their hand in what's happening in universities. And a lot of these uh, universities have Department of Defense contracts that no foreign nation should know about. So to assess the damage and influence like countries like Qatar have in the United States, it's important to understand that Qatar stands for and promotes uh, uh, certain things. For decades, Qatar has cultivated a close relationship with the Islamist Muslim Brotherhood, whose motto is, Allah is our objective, the Prophet is our leader, the Quran is our law, Jihad is our way, dying in the way of Allah is our highest hope. The the indeed in other words they their aim it appears to be ensuring that Islamic law Sharia governs all countries and all matters. Now Hamas that Israel is now battling as an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood has enjoyed uh, Qatar Qatar as its main sponsor to the tune of up to $360 million a year, and was recently the home of Hamas leadership. In 2012, Ismail Haniya, head of, the, of Hamas political bureau, Musa Abu Marzouk and Khalil Mashal, among others, moved to, to Qatar for a life of luxury. This month, likely because of Israel's announcement will hunt down and eliminate Hamas leaders in Qatar and Turkey, the Qatar-based Hamas officials reportedly fled to other countries. In other words, Qatar is a major contributor to American universities. It's also a major home for terrorist leaders. And by the way, Qatar was also the home to Sheikh Yusuf al-Karadawi, who was the spiritual leader of the Muslim Brotherhood and was exiled to, uh, to, from Egypt until his death in September 2022. And this Karadawi uh, I mean, founded many radical Islamic organizations which are funded by Qatar. These include the International Union of Muslim Scholars, which released a statement that called um, for massacres um, by, by Hamas agents against communities in southern Israel. And uh, he said that Muslims have a religious duty to support their brothers and sisters through all of Palestine, especially in Al-Aqsa, Jerusalem, Al-Aqsa, Jerusalem, and Gaza. 
So uh, Qatar also still is home to a funded uh, television network called Al-Jazeera, Al-Jazeera, which I think many people are familiar with. It was founded in 1996 by the Emir of Qatar, and it's called the Mouthpiece of the Muslim Brotherhood. And Al Jazeera began the violent Arab Spring a few years ago. In 2017, the Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Egypt made, made demands of Qatar. They demanded that Qatar cut off relations with Iran, stop Al Jazeera, stop granting Qatari citizenship to other countries' exiled oppositionists. And these countries cut ties with Qatar over its failure to agree to any of their demands, including its support for terrorism, the Muslim Brotherhood, and Al Jazeera. The Saudi state-run news agency said Qatar embraces multiple terrorist and sectarian groups aimed at disturbing stability in the region, including the Muslim Brotherhood, ISIS, and Al-Qaeda, and promotes the message and schemes of these groups through their media constantly. Now, this is the kind of influence that American universities and colleges are more than happy to see on their campuses in exchange for billions of dollars in Qatari donations. Foreign donations from Qatar especially have had a substantial impact on fomenting growing levels of anti-Semitic discourse and campus politics at American universities as well as growing support for the anti-democratic values within these institutions of higher education. In, in November 2023, a report was published to Corruption of the American Mind, How Concealed Foreign Funding of Higher Education in the United States Predicts the erosion of democratic values and anti-Semitic sentiment on campus. If there's direct correlation between anti-Semitism and the censored speech on campus and undocumented contributions from foreign governments, notably from Qatar. At least 100 American colleges and universities illegally withheld information on approximately $13 billion in undocumented contributions from foreign governments, many of which are authoritarian. It's the, 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 these institutions that get this money, they include, have political campaigns to silence academics, Campus are receiving undocumented funds exhibited approximately twice as many campaigns to Silas academics as those that did not. In other words, the more money you got from Qatar, the more you're apt to silence people who disagree with you. Students reported greater exposure to anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist rhetoric. 
Higher levels of anti-Semitic incidents were reported on their campuses. This relationship of undocumented money to campus anti-Semitism was stronger when the undocumented donors were Middle Eastern regimes rather than other regimes. From 2015 to 2020, institutions that accepted money from Middle Eastern donors had on the average 300% more anti-Semitic incidents than those institutions that did not. Speech intolerance manifesting as campaigns to investigate, censor, demote, suspend, or terminate speakers and scholars who hire at institutions that received undocumented money from foreign regimes. So Qatar makes it possible for Ivy League University to claim they receive no funds in the Qatari state because the donations are funneled through the Qatar Foundation for Education, Science, and Community Development, which is a non-profit organization established in 1995 by the Emir of Qatar. This ensures that the foundation can identify itself as a private organization which enables Qatar to conceal its state funding as private donations. In a report published this month called Networks of Hate, Qatari Paymasters, Soft Power, and Manipulation of Democracies, it was reported as follows. At the time of this writing, the state of Qatar contributes more funds universities in the United States and any other country in the world and more donations for totals, totals omit critical concerns detailing the nature of Qatar's academic funding. For instance, Qatar concentrates its donation with, within a contained number of elite universities to maximize its influence. This target approach suggests the strategic motivations, for instance, to advance Qatari state interests, influence Qatari strategy, and rather than pure philanthropy. So the issue of Qatar on U.S. campuses is only, as, is only part of a larger picture of Qatari influence in the United States and also in the rest of the West. Qatari funds U.S. think tanks such as the Richardson Center for Global Engagement and the Brookings Institution and infiltrates U.S. media. In 2021, Qatar pledged to invest $10 billion in American ports. In recent years, Qatar has significantly bolstered its U.S. investments through its sovereign wealth fund, the Qatar Investment Authority, and its subsidiaries, notably Qatari DR. In 2019, they pledged to allocate $45 billion to U.S. investments and open an office in New York in 2015 to facilitate U.S. investments. The fifth U.S.-Qatari strategic dialogue took place in Qatar in November and further strengthened strategic and economic partnership and, and addressed obstacles to investment and trade.
So the bottom line here is the following. Just to sum it up, it's really important. First of all, at least 100 American colleges and universities are legally withheld information on approximately $13 billion in undocumented contributions from foreign governments. Many of these foreign governments are authoritarian. They, um, the, the speech intolerance and manifesting its campaigns to investigate, censor, demote, suspend, or terminate speakers and scholars was hired institutions that received undocumented money from foreign regimes. Now, Qatar, Qatar makes it possible for Ivy League universities to claim they received no funds from the Qatari state. Why? Because the donations are funneled through the Qatar Foundation for Education, Science, and Community Development, a not-for-profit organization established in 1995 by the Emir of Qatar. This ensures that the foundation can identify itself as a private organization which enables Qatar to conceal its state funding as private donation. At the time of now, the state of Qatar contributes more funds to universities in the United States than any other country in the world, and raw donation totals omit critical concerning details about the nature of their academic funding. The, um, it's interesting, um, the, uh, the, 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 the Qatar has, uh, um, has, uh, it's, in other words, it's taken over the universities. The, um, as a matter of fact, the former Qatari prime minister, a guy named Hamid bin Yassin, wrote in February just uh, of uh, 2022 the following, we would pay journalists, some of whom have become ministers of parliament, others have, have become known as local patriots in their countries. We would pay journalists in many countries, we would pay them every year. Some of them receive salaries. Only Arab countries are doing this, if not all, than most of them. In other words, journalists in the United States, universities in the United States, are being bought by Qatari funds. And that explains the disgraceful uh, testimony of the three Ivy League presidents, Harvard, MIT, University Pennsylvania, a month ago. Uh, just good information to know. I'll be back after the break. Warning. Take cover. The Jewish Truth Bomb is here. The show that will explode all the false narratives and fake news. Join host Lenny Goldberg each week as he wires the news together and detonates it through biblical verses that will deliver a shockwave that will blow you away. Don't miss it. The Jewish Truth Bomb. Every Monday. During the past couple of weeks, I read a quite a number of articles about anti-Semitism and the fact that it's increasing in the United States in particular. 
even though the phenomenon is taking place all around the world, the, uh, for example, thousands of protesters across America cities and more than 200 university campuses have been calling to destroy Israel. And uh, that's absolutely shocking. Really, it's it's uh, it's my it's mind-boggling to put to put it mildly. Unfortunately, anti-Semitism is growing, and particularly on the campuses, where the next generation's leaders are being educated. These attacks on Jewish communities and institutions have reflected a real uptick in anti-Semitism worldwide. And I think what we have to do is to identify the forces that are driving this new anti-Semitism. According to Ted Deutsch, who uh, was a congressman from uh, Florida when I was there for a while, He's now the CEO of the American Jewish Community. He pointed out that there were four big lies that must be tackled head-on if we're going to be successful. The first lie is the notion that the expression from the river to the sea means liberation of Palestinians or a secular binational Palestinian state. This is simply a lie, and it couldn't be any further from the truth. What from the river to the sea means, it's a rallying cry for the destruction of the state of Israel and the killing of its people. That's what from the river to the sea means. They have all these uh, protesters demonstrating and repeating this uh, this uh, slogan, and I've seen uh, um, on television where they've asked these people, when it says to the river to the sea, which river do they mean and which sea do they mean? And a tremendous number of these protesters simply have no idea what the slogan means other than the destruction of the Jewish people. The second problem is intifada is a legitimate form of resistance. But there are people today calling to globalize the Intifada. It's a celebration of brutally violent terror campaigns waged against Israel. Those who call for a global Intifada are saying that worldwide there should be violence incited against Jews and those who support Israel. Another idea is, and this is really a weird one as far as I'm concerned, but it's something that's being pushed, and that is that Israel is a white settler colonial state. Truth of the matter is, it's the opposite is true. Jews have called the land of Israel home for millennia, and it's proven by historical and archaeological evidence and in, in, in a matter of fact, the majority of Israelis are people who came from the Middle East and North Africa. So it's certainly not a settler Zionist state. The truth of the matter is that in other places, like the United States and like the, in South America, 
these European colonists set out to enrich their mother countries or themselves. But Jews settling in Palestine in time of the Mandate, for example, didn't have any mother country they were trying to enrich. There was fleeing persecution and essentially returning to their indigenous homeland. They weren't, they weren't uh, settling the land in order to make profit than a mother country. They didn't have a mother country. Their mother country was Palestine. And the most egregious and dangerous is the accusation is the that Israel is committing genocide. Now, there is right now. There's been a tremendous loss of life on the Palestinian side. I think I think the report today over 20,000 Palestinians have been killed so far in this war. That's part of war. The the word genocide was first coined in response to the Holocaust. What is genocide? It's acts committed with the interest to the intent to destroy in whole or import a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. That is the definition of, the, of genocide. And uh, let me repeat it. Genocide are acts committed with the intent to destroy in whole or import a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. Interestingly enough, the Palestinian population, from the river to the sea, if you will, has quintupled since 1967. Calling Israel's actions genocide is a modern blood libel that distorts the Holocaust. The genocidal actor, if there is one, is Hamas, whose covenant, written in 1988, calls for the murder of Jews worldwide. That is genocide. So these lies about Israel have spread and horrific results against Jewish communities around the world are, are there for all to see. The Hamas's assault uh, in October has been glorified and justified on college campuses throughout the United States. At George Washington University in Washington, phrases including glory to our martyrs were projected on a building for hours. At Cornell University, a student threatened to kill Jewish students on the Nordline Forum, and uh, thankfully no one was hurt. The uh, this would be disturbing enough if if it's limited only to the students, but it's it's the faculty also. One professor declared himself exhilarated at what the Hamas was doing. Another characterized the onslaught as legitimate resistance. And the truth of the matter is, is so many administrators are no better. When, the, the, when testifying before Congress about anti-Semitism on their campuses, the presidents of Harvard, University of Pennsylvania, and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology refused to say whether calling for the genocide of Jews inherently violates their respective code of conduct. conducts. Those three college professors sat there surrounded by 
all kind of experts they paid to, uh, I guess, brief them before the uh, they spoke before Congress. But it was really disgraceful. When asked, they asked uh, uh, whether calling for the genocide of Jews violates their respective codes of conduct on our campuses, they equivocated, saying it would depend on the context, but it would not be actionable unless it targeted individuals. So it's no wonder that since October 7th attack, more than half of Jewish college students across the United States say they feel less safe on their campus, according to the Hillel Foundation. Matter of fact, a lot of Jewish students who have been accepted to colleges have turned down the acceptance, and there's been a big increase in the number of students trying to get into Yeshiva University. They don't want to go to any other college. The, the, um, the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, uh, on December 3rd, Fifth spoke before Congress and said there's been a 60% year-over-year increase in reported hate crimes, uh, and especially after October 7th, most of the increase driven by crimes against Jews. Jews make up just about 2.4% of the United States population, but the victims of nearly 60% of religious-based hate crimes. So these big lies are trying to delegitimize Israel and Zionism in order to legitimize attacks against Israelis and and Jews. And this is something that has has to be fought. This is really terrible. This is not the America that I knew. Thousands of protesters across American cities and more than 200 universities, 200 universities have been calling to destroy Israel. And there have been pro-ISIS, pro-Hamas protesters, and they're demonstrating for what they call resistance against the Israeli oppressor. And Israel has been branded as apartheid, Nazi, genocide, all kinds of terrible things. Tens of thousands of American university students, student faculty, and supporters have been chanting, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which is simply a call for genocide and politicide to replace the only Jewish state, to replace it with another Muslim Arab majority state. The, the, uh, the, the, It's interesting, since 1993 and the launch of the Oslo Accords, the Western discourse was primarily defined as a peace process designed to establish an independent Palestinian state, an independent government, and the dues of the heads of the Israeli government went along with this. But what's become clear over the past 30 years uh, of the so-called Oslo process, which is dead in its tracks, is that the Palestinian Authority and its leaders, first it was Yasser Arafat, and now it's Mahmoud Abbas, they have created and amplified a jihad, a holy war 
and against the Jews. And furthermore, the Palestinian Authority's policy of paying incentive for murdering Israelis over the past 30 years has fashioned a generation, uh, actually a generation and a half of Palestinian youth have become radicalized and ready to commit murder for money and sacrifice themselves as what they call shahids, which is martyrs. That's what happened on October 7th. Ironically, the current genocidal anti-Semitism, which is sweeping through Western capitals and cities and universities in the name of progressive agenda, stems from deep Islamic roots. And, for example, there's something called the Students for Justice in Palestine, which is a group linked to Hamas. And uh, there's the um, the American Muslims for Palestine. Uh, Also, the the SJP is not a grassroots student organization. The... uh, the, the, um, the, the years of genocidal rhetoric on university campuses have now come full cycle to actually haunt American Jewry. Both official Israel and Israeli NGOs and the diaspora Jewish leadership have failed to counter decades of a massive campaign to vilify, delegitimize, and dehumanize Israel. Many in the pro-Israel community justified and legitimized this, this Israel erasure campaign, characterizing its rhetoric as simply legitimate political criticism. It isn't. The, we now, everything we see now is, is the context where everything we see was provided by what happened on October 7th. The, uh, they, they want to uh, destroy Israel, they want to kill Jews. It's no, there's no boundaries. Those listening carefully to Hamas leaders may have heard the intention to commit October 7th mass murder again and again. Like uh, a member of the Hamas political bureau named Khazi Hamad, said, and I quote, the Al-Aqsa flood is just the first time. There will be a second, a third, and a fourth. And another senior Hamas official named Mahmoud al-Zahar threatened to target Jews wherever they are. <coughs> so, Hamas's attacks have already spilled over into the United States and other Western countries. The with pro-Israel and Jewish facilities and Jewish people and Jewish students are now targets. So the uh, this has to be taken very very seriously. This this is rooted in in fifty years of accusations against Israel by these organizations, like back in nineteen seventy four, Yasser Arafat spoke to the UN accusing Israel of being a racist and illegitimate state. And they had a Durban conference in 2001. 
that recast Israel as a racist, genocidal, war criminal state to be eliminated from the community of nations. And people didn't seem to take this serious enough. Much of the diaspora Jewish leadership in particular, I think, failed to grasp the gravity of these deadly accusations and the implication for the massive outbreak of anti-Semitism and violence against Jews we are witnessing today across the United States. We have seen nothing like this since Germany in the 1930s. So since October 7th, Israel and diaspora Jewry also are both being targeted for, eliminate, for elimination. The, um, the, the, the 300,000-person march of Jews in Washington was a good start against what's happening. But it, it seems that Israel, together with the leadership of the American Jewish community, must take the lead. And uh, we have the, they have these October 7th atrocity videos that should be shown to every Jewish community across America and to as many non-Jewish communities as possible. So all this is needed to expose precisely why Israel is determined to take every measure necessary to return its hostages and eliminate Hamas. This is very serious, hasn't been this serious since World War II. But it's not just Israel and the U.S. Jewish community. They have to work with the U.S. federal and local officials to, to shut down all these campus chapters of the, uh, of the genocidal groups against Israel. There is a, there's a Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act that can be employed to cut down these Justice in Palestine groups. It has to be maximized by a media campaign in the United States exposing the terrorist roots of the jihadist-backed organization. The, the American Jews, supported by American law, actually, should do what they can to stop this anti-Semitism, which has gotten pretty bad, and it's got to be stopped now before it gets worse. I'll be back after the break. Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Shalom, this is Nadia Matar from the Sovereignty Movement. At a time when there is so much disinformation, you have to know who to listen to to know what really is going on in Israel. Israel News Talk Radio is the radio where you can know that what you hear is the truth. I think I've mentioned in the past that uh, I like to watch the international news, see what's happening around the world. And uh, I was kind of shocked because I saw that uh, they had an anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian a rally at the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree, and the police had to come. There were people wearing kafias and Palestinian flags in a pro-Palestinian demonstration. 
and the the pro Hamas demonstrators disrupt, disrupted Christian celebrations all around the world. For example, in Italy, there is a traditional Christmas Eve performance at the La Scala Opera House in Milan, and it was disrupted by anti-Israel protesters. And uh, uh, in New York, demonstrators chanted, Long live the Intifada, and Christmas is canceled, and the traditional lighting the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Plaza was violently interrupted by anti-Israel rioters. Now, considering that Israel is a Jewish state with only a 2% Christian minority, so why did is and the same thing happened in um, Bethlehem. Bethlehem was very reduced in celebration this year. Nothing like it was in the past. Bethlehem used to be a majority Christian city, and now it's a majority Muslim city. And the uh, the uh, Christmas celebration was extremely muted. And uh, considering considering that Israel is a Jewish state with only a two percent Christian minority. You can ask yourself, why did Israel's enemies target a holiday celebrating the birth of Jesus? Why do these protesters see Israel as fighting for Christianity? What's the tie-up? The, the, uh, by the way, the, 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 um, at the other end of the political uh, uh, spectrum, just the opposite is happening. For example, um, there was a mass uh, demonstration held in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, on November 26th, and the crowds filled the streets, and there were numerous Israeli flags in the crowd, and uh, which is interesting. The uh, the uh, the Bolsonaro, but um, the leader of the uh, Bolsonaro party, the Brazilian party Bolsonaro, and uh, uh, he is pro-Israel. Now look what happened in uh, the Netherlands. This is really something. The uh, Geert Wilders, a leader of the right-wing national nationalist party called PVV. Last month was elected to lead the, uh, the Netherlands government, first time. And he said the following, and I want to quote it. The war against Israel is not a war against Israel, it's a war against the West. It is jihad. Israel is simply receiving the blows that are meant for all of us. If there would have been no Israel, Islamic imperialism would have found other venues to release its energy and its desire for conquest. Many in Europe argue in favor of abandoning Israel in order to address the grievances of our Muslim minorities. But if Israel, God forbid, was to go down, it would not bring any solace to the West. It would not mean our Muslim minorities would all suddenly change their behavior and accept our values. On the contrary, contrary, the end of Israel would give enormous encouragement to the forces of Islam. They would, and rightly so, see the demise of Israel as a proof that the West is weak and doomed. The end of Israel would not mean the end of our problems with Islam, but only beginning. In other words, the they see the attack on Israel 
as an attack on Judeo-Christian civilization, which it is, among other things. But there, most people in the West haven't awakened yet to this fact. The, uh, by the way, the uh, there is a gentleman named Steve Bannon. I saw a quote from him. Uh, he's a, a, a strategist in the, and uh, he was a campaign manager for, for Donald Trump. And he has a daily show, and uh, he is the he's he's on he's a right winger, he's well known, and uh, the uh, he responded to the pro Hamas demonstration, which disrupted the Christmas celebration at Rockefeller Center, and he said the following, and I quote because this is important. This is not about Israel. This is not about the Jewish people. This is a Sharia supremacist global movement powered by the Chinese Communist Party that is funding the mullahs in Tehran in partnership with Moscow and Erdogan in Turkey who wants to reestablish the Ottoman Empire. By the way, he said that is what they say, not what I'm saying. And, it, and he went on to say, he's talking to America, and he said, this is about you. This is about your civilization. This is about your culture, your society, your country. It's about your beliefs, your family, and your children. So across the populist national right throughout the world, support for Israel is the growing norm, believe it or not. Even uh, the Hungarian prime minister and the newly elected Argentinian president are two more examples of right-wing national leaders who are staunch supporters of Israel. As a matter of fact, Orban in um, Hungary has gone so far as to outlaw pro-Hamas demonstrations in Hungary. Now, why is there a growing trend on the right to support Israel, uh, and there is a support, growing support of Hamas on the left? So the picture comes into focus. To the rest of the world, Israel's war against Hamas is not about Israel. Throughout the world, populist nationalism is on the rise. Years ago, Populist nationalism was looked upon as a bad thing. It was thought to be anti-Semitic. In many cases, it was. That was in the bad old days. While there are many issues that unite this uh, right-wing movement across different continents, one thing issue stands out above uh, all the rest. They all believe that Western civilization is under attack. More specifically, they recognize that traditional Judeo-Christian culture is under attack from the combined forces of neo-Marxist socialism, mass immigration from parts of the world that do not share Western values. Over the years, Europe took in a tremendous number of people from the Muslim countries because they were simply looking for workers that would do all the dirty work and all the street cleaning in, in Europe. 
And now there are sections of some cities in England, in France, and I think in Belgium also, that are controlled by these radical Muslim groups that people don't even go into. The police don't even go into these areas. Europe has slowly been undermined. And that is why the European beginning the Europeans are starting to look to the right wingers. Years ago a right winger was a was a dirty word, I remember. But those who interpret the current trend of right wing nationalism as motivated by racism and xenophobia should really take note. It is the left, in fact, consistently and openly speaks on the evils of West about the evils of Western civilization and of the evils of the Judaic Christian underpinnings of Western civilization. So from the anti-Christmas demonstrations we saw in London, New York, and elsewhere, it's becoming clear that this in interpretation of the current moment is accurate. The um, even have something, you can imagine there's something glaring. It's it sounds laughable called queers for Palestine, and it's really interesting because the Palestinians, for example, if you're a homosexual in Hamas, they kill you by throwing you off a roof. A roof, but in New York and in London, they have signs supporting Hamas saying queers for Palestine. They have absolutely no idea what they're talking about, but it doesn't matter. They are becoming a factor. All these people who don't understand what the situation in the Middle East is, they don't realize that what's happening here is really a threat to Western society. Those who seek the destruction of Israel are the same cultural political camp the ones that tear down traditional Western values. So, um, I think it's time for some self-awareness. The, the entire Zionist project is something that came out of Judeo-Christian nationalism, whether we admit it or not. The, uh, a successfully capitalist nation, which Israel is, is built on a religious ethnic identity with roots in the Bible. And that is something that the left hates. The, uh, it, there were those who say that the abandonment of Israel by the left was pretty inevitable. It, it's pretty hypocritical for Israelis to advocate for the preservation of the Jewish character of the state of Israel while playing the role of progressives against people like Wilders in uh, Holland and Orban in Hungary, the, uh, when th those, pe those people like Wilders and Orban talk about the, the, the limiting the encroachment of Islam on their societies and they're against unfettered mass immigration. So w what essentially is happening is that the people of the Netherlands and the people of Hungary are entitled, just as the Jews are, to preserve their national cultural traditions. And that is why these other, the leaders of these other countries are supporting 
Israel because essentially they're saying that the Judeo-Christian civilization must be preserved. And even though Israel is a Jewish state, it is part of the Judeo-Christian Western civilization. That's a Western civilization. So uh, it's true. You can't deny that right-wing nationalists have traditionally been infected with anti-Semitism. That's true. However, I think, I'm not an expert on these things. I'm not a political scientist. But from my watching what happens, I think times are changing. What's happening is, on the left, anti-Semitism is growing Anti-Semitism is being normalized. All this is happening on the left, while on the right, anti-Semitism is receding. And in fact, it's being replaced by admiration for the state of Israel. Why? Because they see Israel as the one country that's fighting back against jihadist Islam. So Israelis have to understand the historical moment where we are in. We have to embrace the reality as it is, not what we got accustomed to over the years. The right wing used to be a dirty word. It's no longer true. The left is replacing it. Israel is in the front line of the fight to preserve Judeo Christian society. That is the bottom line. That is something we have to realize. There are a lot of people on the right wing in other countries we not not be too happy about. We have to look at the overall picture. Radical Islam is the enemy of, of society, Western society, which is Judeo-Christian society. That is the battle that's taking place right now. That is reason why many countries in the past would not particularly uh, be favorable toward Israel, but they see Israel's position as the active combatant in the fight to preserve Judeo-Christian society. And I, as I under, I'm not, I'm not a political scientist. But this seems to be the truth to me. Now I'd like to say a few words. Again, I apologize to the listeners. I'm not an expert. I do a lot of reading and listening about what's happening, and I draw some conclusions, and I rely heavily on uh, people I consider to be experts. And I read and I listen to what they say. I think uh, one of the things we have to do is uh, what, what's going to happen when this war in Gaza is over? It, it seems to me that the whole world will want to see Gaza rebuilt. But Israel holds the key to facilitate the reconstruction, and Israel must not permit it without parallel educational reconstruction. you got to remember, kids in, in Palestine, since the Palestinian Authority took over in 1993, a generation, two generations, have been raised and educated to hate Israel. And if Israel is going to keep control of Gaza, it's got to take control, 
of the educational system and reconstructed. Israel must insist that the people of Gaza are taught a curriculum with a culture of peace and tolerance, which, by the way, was supposed to be part of the basis of the Abraham Accords. Right now, the UNRW, Relief and Wealth Authority, which runs the education in Gaza, has been teaching the kids there to hate Jews, to worship martyrs. However, that cannot be allowed to be repeated by the international community when the Gazan kids both go back to school after the war. That's one thing. That's as far as Gaza is concerned. There's something else. There are, there are anti-Semitic policies on campuses. We've seen that over the last few weeks. Following the shameful anti-Semitism displayed by the president's of three top universities, there's a little momentum now toward ending discriminatory policies that have harmed Jewish students for decades. The, the time has come for the elimination of the DEI, the Diversity, uh, Equity, and Inclusion programs on campuses in America that have encouraged anti-Semitism. they gotten out of control. The Bigotry is supposed to not be tolerated in America, but anti-Semitism is, uh, is being permitted. The truth is that the top U.S. Jewish organizations must really, working together with the American government, see that, that the campuses are safe for, for Jewish students. I mentioned previously how much money the universities have gotten from Qatar, and that's, that's something that has to be fought. I mean, obviously, you, you, they can't control the budgets of the universities, but they have to be aware of why the universities have, have fallen and allowed anti-Semitism to, uh, to, to, to take place. There is no justification anti-Semitism anywhere. Thanks for listening. I have more to say about this. Time is too short. Take care of yourselves. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel.